This week on The Reverse Stick, India does what we all expect by doing what we didn't expect them to do. We've got international hockey umpire Murray Grime joining us, there's Pakistan, EHL and plenty more. And welcome to The Reverse Stick. My name's John Lee. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Allen. And it's a wonderful week to be a hockey player, isn't it, Matt? It's a wonderful world. We talked last week about the grass smelling a little bit greener and the white lines looking whiter. Uh, they certainly look whiter. Although, what I will say, John, yeah. is that uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. No, surprising <laughs> that. And you tend to find that out after winning a grand final, don't you? Yes, the we'll, days following. We'll, we'll we'll get onto that a little bit later on. We won't bore you too much with our self indulgence on that one. So, uh, what should we do, John? Kick off and uh, let's talk about Indian hockey in the announcements made uh, just just after uh, the show came out last week. We should do that, but first of all, we have to. News. So yeah, kicking off with the news straight away are the announcements out of India for the top jobs. I think we should probably just play a little sting from our show last week to start things off. You, for those that listened in last week, you heard our conversation with Jazz Sani um, out of Delhi. And, uh, yeah, have a little li- listen to this, and uh, we'll follow up after. Oh, just another name that I'd sort of pop up in, in the ring the other day was the, uh, the current coach of the Indian women's team, and I note that they're off to play a, a series in, um, in Europe at the moment. Is there any likelihood of a switch over from the women's team to the men's team? That will be ridiculous in on, in my book because the women's play their World Cup in July and India are likely to get a backdoor entry uh, next month, uh, which is almost certain to happen. So to and and uh, Short has been in the position only for the last six months or so. So and he has, mind you, he has never coached the men's team before. So and it's a whole together different ball game uh, coaching a women's team and a men's team. And uh, on that front especially, I don't think uh, um, he will even apply because he might, uh, he might prove me wrong, but I don't think so that Hockey India should uh, consider uh, bringing in two new coaches because in that case, the men's men's team will also have a new coach and the women's team will also have a new coach. So that, that makes little sense to just displace both of your teams. In fact... and as of now, there ha- there is one coach that is handling the women's team. He has put in some effort for the last six months. That will all go waste again. So it makes little sense to uh, disturb that setup and then bring him to a new setup where he will take time again to settle. I don't think that makes any sense. What about you, John? Do you think it makes any sense? So I guess we'll just give the bit of context there <laughs> sure. to the announcements that were made. So uh, I'm just going to uh, click on my computer here and just help out with the pronunciation of the uh, the new Indian men's coach. Well, first of all, we should mention that uh, what essentially India have done is appoint a new women's coach and move their women's coach into the men's position. That's right. So as Jazz intimated there, you've then got two new coaches um, and two teams trying to battle with whatever new systems might come into play. And obviously the coach is trying to get to know those players. I did notice that. Here we go. That's for those of you that might not be able to pronounce his name a bit like us. I'm getting better at it. Shord Marina. Shord Marina. And one more time. Shord Marina. So Shord Marina's moved over from the women's side after about six months there to coach the uh, Indian men's team. 
of note. Uh, this kind of it blew up on Twitter after the announcement. So we talked about it in our show that we recorded last Tuesday, last Wednesday. On the Monday, um, the uh, Hockey India uh, put the advertised for the coach for the for the men's team. By the Friday, the women's coach, Stuart Morena. Stuart Morena. Stuart Morena had been appointed as the men's coach and. We talked about Harendra Singh being in with a shout to get the men's job because he'd done such a great job with a lot of that junior group that had come through uh, recently in the core in the core Indian team. Uh, he's now coaching the women's team. So from what I understand, Harendra uh, doesn't have a background in coaching women's hockey and Shud Morena doesn't have a background in coaching men's hockey. And uh, there's some big tournaments coming up for both of their sides there and it really does beggar belief. Look... Obviously, the Indian authorities know more about what's going on in their setup than anybody else, but from standing outside, it looks like a very silly decision. I mean, if, if Sean wasn't good enough for the women's job, why would you give him the men's job? Why move him out of the position as the women's coach? Well, I don't, I don't think there's been any issue with him being good enough for the job there. I think everyone That's seems right. to be very happy with it, although there haven't been any great improvements in results within the, within the six months that he's been uh, well, taking charge months, of it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's hardly got his teeth into it. Well, you, you're only just getting <laughs> to know your team within six Absolutely. months, aren't you? Yeah. But both of these teams have got big tournaments coming up, not only the, the Asia Cup, but Hockey World League as well um, for, for the men. They're big, big tournaments for their teams, and, oh, yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's a strange decision. But, you know, India's a, a place of contrary things happening, uh, it's not the first time we've scratched our head at something coming out of India. And you know what? It, it's not going to be the last, but it doesn't make it wrong. And they might turn around and surprise everybody. From the outside, it does seem like a silly decision. So what what do you judge your coaching on? What do you judge whether it's been, if your coach's appointments have been successful or not? Uh, it's on results? <sighs> well, yes. Yeah, or is there more to it? It depends where you are. Um, I would say for, say, a country like ours, Australia... It's about results. Uh, I would say if you're in a country like Trinidad and Tobago, it's a different mindset altogether. I mean, you still want to win. No coach goes, oh, well, let, let's coach this team to lose a few games. But you've got to understand where that team is placed in the pecking order of things as well. So let me put this to you. Asia Cup's coming up. Yeah. India finished fifth. Yeah. So... With who coaching? With Sjord Marina. Thank you very much. If they coaching. finish fifth... At, a, at, at the Asia at the Cup. Asia Cup. Would that be a failure for India? You'd think it would be. An absolute failure for India. But, 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 but is that a coach's issue um, or is that a Hockey India issue? Now, obviously, they might they might storm it and, and win the competition and he's the greatest coach uh, ever known to man. And the other thing you've got to realise is not every generation that comes through any given country is going to be the greatest generation of hockey players ever yeah. for that country. So, you know, coaches have, can, are sometimes held captive by the stocks that they have available to them. But and that's not saying a country... So you're going to have ups and downs. Look at the Australian women. Now, they've edged back up, but they had a, a trough not too long ago where they were seriously looking as though, you know, outside the top ten was a possibility. Yeah, yeah. I did notice that uh, Sean Morena had said that uh, he wants to follow a player-driven approach for success and also that knowing players individu individually will be his first challenge. One of the things that has, when you talk to people that have had something to do with Indian hockey over the years, is the last thing you need is a player-driven approach. Because there's been a lot of player-driven stuff going on in Indian hockey, and it's been to the detriment. 
And we've seen situations where coaches who are known for having strong opinions that they stand by don't last long with the players <laughs> in India. They don't, no, they don't, no, they certainly don't last very long in India. So it's, it's a funny mixture once again. You, you can't have the tail wagging the dog. We're just going to stay in that part of the world. I am... Um yeah, I just well, I'm going to look on with interest once again with what what happens in India, and you just wish them well, wish the coaches well, and and hope that they can bed in fairly quickly. I have noticed that the the Indian girls are are over in Europe at the moment. They they've been playing against the Belgian under 21 boys and had a couple of re- reasonable results there. Um, so good luck to them. Um, we'll just we'll look on with a little wry smile on our face and shake the head a little bit, and you know. Well, <laughs> I feel a bit sorry for both of the coaches involved here. Because I think they're actually on a hiding to nothing. Uh, and I don't think they're going to get the true opportunities they needed. You, you drop a guy on a coaching job for six months and then you move him on to somewhere else. And you've you got another guy that's been coaching with that group and you shift him over here. And I just, I, I'm not sure that it's going to work for him. No, the, the next stage is going to be very interesting to watch that. Yeah, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing lots from Indian hockey fans about that as well because they're not shy and coming forward. Yeah, that's right. Now, I, I did. So I was just saying we'll, we'll stay in that part of the world. Subcontinent? Yeah, in the subcontinent and uh, going to Karachi and I picked this up on the international <laughs> news <laughs> oh, in the week. Um, so there is a nine-a-side tournament taking part uh, in Karachi in the first week of October. This is the Nishan-e-Haida hockey tournament and uh, there's a very interesting announcement that's come out with it. So we'll, we'll just. Hey, start we off. must bear in mind though that this announcement might originally have been written in a different language and it's been translated for English because that's the way it reads. Well, the way so. the way the way my head is this week, John, it probably <laughs> makes total sense to, to what I read it. Um, but they're they're looking at the player recruitment in a very interesting way, and the headline story is terms with foreign goalkeepers decided. So 11 foreign goalkeepers from various countries, including Australia, Ireland, Russia and China, are expected to participate in the Nine-A-Side Nishani Haida Hockey Tournament. And it just gets me wondering, you go, OK, um, so you're getting some foreign goalkeepers in, and that's it. So everyone else playing is going to be Pakistani outfield players. So is that saying something about the, the quality of goalkeepers that they've got in the country there? I just I, no, I, I, I don't get the angle. I just don't get the angle. So we're, we're taking the mickey a little bit there, and it's, it's unfair on Pakistan hockey. But you can understand why people would be a little bit sceptical about it. Um, well, what is good that I read out of it is that Shabazz Ahmed's uh, meeting up with FIH officials uh, within the next couple of weeks and is looking to discuss the progress of Pakistan's activities at international level. So I'm sure things like World League will come up, and we've talked before about Scotland being the potential home country for Pakistan. And, um, you know, I think there's there's lots of um, positives to come out of uh, a meeting between the FIH and Pakistan Hockey Federation and getting the Pakistan Hockey Federation... Uh, playing games in Pakistan, you know, that's that's the big the big thing with it. Uh, but this this uh, tournament they're talking about here, so a nine-a-side tournament with some mo- some modified rules. Um, you'll love this. So the matches will be of 50 minutes duration, fair enough, of which 10 minutes will be for a penalty shootout. The sources said the matches will begin with a penalty shootout. Now that is a radical rethinking of the way hockey's played. I don't know if what they decide is the score before the game, then they have the penalty shootouts. I'm, I'm, I'm bemused. So the director general of marketing at PHF in ah. Ryan Cart 
Now, <laughs> there is a crucial part to all of this, and you've just hit on it there. It's marketing. Now, I think congratulations for Pakistan for having a crack and trying to organise these sorts of things. But when you let people from marketing start making hockey decisions for you, watch out. Because we'll get to that a little bit later on. This will be the rant version of the reverse stick this week because I've got a good one coming up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure they would have sat down and had the focus groups that you might expect in the Western countries quite so much. Like the EHL, perhaps? Well, we'll get to EHL <laughs> soon as well. But the, uh, the focus groups might, you know, be asked the question, well, you know, what do you know about the game of hockey? What, what sort of things go on? Oh, you have a penalty corner. Oh, you have a penalty stroke. Oh, you have shootouts. Exciting. Oh, shootouts. They sound super. Even in a Western, the shootout happens at the end. <laughs> now, you know, it, it's, it's just, a, maybe you have a shootout at the end as well. Maybe they just sit down and have a cup of tea for the 50 minutes in between two shootouts. How does that sound? Well, let's forget about the hockey in between. Let's go shootouts. Let's just, let's totally convert the game. Um, we're going to five-a-side anyway, so let's just, let's do five-a-side hockey, shootout for 20 minutes. Yeah, but I do, I mean, it's interesting, it's good to see they're trying to do different things. I find it very, just strange that it would just be the goalkeepers that you'd be looking to, to bring in, but there must be some reason, obviously, they think the shootouts are important and goalkeepers have obviously got 50% Look, okay. to, do, to do with... We don't like the idea, we think it's a bit weird and a bit silly, but the positive side is Pakistan hockey is doing something, do something, do anything, as the great John Kennedy said once and that will go over a lot of people's head outside <laughs> of Australia but the, the point is there that they're having a crack and they should be encouraged to have a crack and don't feel bad if you and I take a bit of the mickey out of it you, you're trying to be positive and that's the most important thing yeah Uh, it's time now on the reverse stick for our feature interview. And in fairness, it's not actually our feature interview this weekend. You may have noticed our voices may seem a little bit scratchy compared to normal. If you've been trying to send us a message or anything like that over the last two or three days, you might have noticed that there hasn't been much of a response because um, we've been doing a bit of celebrating here on the reverse stick as it happens. But we have managed to secure an interview that was done by a colleague of mine, Ashley Morrison, who many of you would know through his commentary work with various at various hockey tournaments. And Ashley has done an interview with international hockey umpire Murray Grime. Now, Murray retired from international umpiring earlier this year. He's still umpiring in our local leagues here in Perth. And Ashley sat down with him and had a chat about his career, the reasons for his retirement and what it's like to be an international umpire. Murray Grime, welcome to Not The Footy Show. Oh, thanks, Ashley. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to catch up with you because I'm thinking last year must have been a really emotional year in that you became the fifth hockey umpire to officiate in uh, over 200 games, but then you had to retire not long after. Yeah, look, it's been a long and illustrious career, over 23 years umpiring international hockey year. Look, it was very sad for, for myself I'm in Melbourne. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, they bring a retirement age in, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing for them to do, but that's the, that's the draw, unfortunately. It, was, it must have been really tough, as you say, 23 years is a long time. How did you get into umpiring in the first place? Uh, look, I started playing at, at a reasonably young age, played state junior hockey and then had a couple of injuries to my knees and um, thought about retiring from hockey and someone said, why don't you give umpiring and go for 12 months? And I took that option up and, and progressed pretty quickly through the system and I think it took three years I got into the international scene. 
Yeah, I saw that. I mean, you were with the FAH World Panel in 99, having started in 94. Was that quicker than even you expected? Uh, yeah, I think it was, but they were at the sort of the stage where they had a lot of older guys on the international scene and they were looking for a younger group to come through and, you know, I was at the right place at the right time and took me opportunities. How difficult was it being a young umpire, you know, obviously, and at that stage umpiring guys that may have been older than you? Oh, look, it's one of those transition stages. You know, you all go out there with a, with a cocky approach, I guess. You want to you go out there and prove something to say that you know you are good at what you do. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things you never stop to learn. And, you know, you look at the older people that are umpiring those days and you always take bits and pieces of how they umpired. You know, they're good at management or decision-making. So you sort of mould yourself into your own person. What do you think is one of the keys? Is it communication with the players? I, look, I think communication, the way you manage the game, uh, look, if you can have your players in your hand, you don't want to go out there necessarily to give you know, penalties or suspensions, green cards, yellow cards. I think the days have sort of changed when you know, it was pretty cut and dry. If someone did something wrong, um, you sent them off. Where now it's a bit more lenient and you know, it's really important to have those communication skills with the players. I know certain players have said they reckon you know, you're a pretty hard umpire out there when they look back on you, but uh, I think they all know not to mess with you as well. I mean, how do you feel about that assessment? Oh, look, I think it's a pretty good call, actually. I think, you know, I always say I'm, I'm hard but fair. Um, players sort of know what they can get away with as certain umpires, especially on the international scene and, nat- and national competitions. Look, I've always set myself pretty high standards, and the players respect that. They can see what they're going to benefit out at the end of the day. I mean, we, we saw an article by one of the players recently saying that the umpires don't know the game well enough. Would you agree that that's the case with some, or is that a bit of a harsh criticism? Oh, look, I think it's a pretty harsh criticism. I think, I think you know, players, umpires generally know that what's happening in game, and, you know, they know the rules. I think some of the players need to look at themselves and the way they behave, um, you know, respect and credibility goes both ways we respect them and they've got to respect us and unfortunately at times frustration comes into it and the players think it's you know they're up against the brick wall against the umpires decisions all the time has there ever been one player you've had real difficult time with uh, no, there's been a couple of, a couple of players, um, but you know, over a period of time, I think the way hockey's gone with the, all these different competitions, the Hockey India League, I think the, you know, it's more of a relaxed mode. We get to know the players a lot better. We can sit down and have breakfast with them at a, at a, at a hotel where before it was, it was them and us. So I think the mode's actually, you know, it's, it's a far better setting for, for umpires and players these days. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, one, one of the things I remember was the Asia Cup. You made a big call in the last seconds, giving a penalty corner against India, which meant they ended up losing to Korea. I mean, some umpires might have bottled that, deliberately playing it over the baseline, but you were always prepared to make those hard calls. Yeah, look, I think, you know, the rules are there, and I think, you know, you're a better person, and look, as far as the teams find it, and they don't, don't agree with your decision, end of the day you're right and they knew that you're right. Um, unfortunately they didn't go to a World Cup. But you know, it's you know, you just gotta set your standards and you don't change. I am I've always been one if you see it you blow it. Um, don't guess. You went to four Olympics, two World Cups, I think six champions trophies, the major tournaments. Are there any moments there that stand out for you? Oh, look, I think every tournament you go to, you always learn something new, and I think um, the way hockey's going as far as the for, for general public aspect of viewing, I think the game's changed. It's heading the right direction. Most special moments for me, look... Every game is different, but you know when you reflect back, there's, I reckon there's two special games that I ever umpired. One was in Lahore, um, the Champions Trophy, 
Pakistan played Germany and they had to win, you know, and you're in front of 70,000 people. All of a sudden you had 15,000 people jump a six-foot-high fence. And, you know, that was a special moment. I suppose maybe two other games. One was the World Cup in 2002 where Korea played Germany. Um, that was a really special game of hockey, you know. It was really fast and furious and, you know, exceptional skill level. I guess the other one would have been Germany versus Holland, which always is a great clash. You know, there's two games that I can remember. One was at the World Cup in Mitch and Gladbach in a round game. Uh, it was one of the best games of hockey I'd seen. And also, most will be at the Athens Olympics in the semi-final when Germany played Holland. And that was international umpire Murray Grime. And Murray was talking to, you might not recognise that voice from this show, hockey broadcaster and sports journalist Ashley Morrison. And thanks to Ashley and his Not The Footy Show blog for allowing us to use that particular interview because we've been a bit under the pump this week. So uh, it, it was an intention to uh, Alvaz all along to to share that interview with you. It just turned out it was this week that we we managed to do it. Perfect timing for it as well. You can get hold of Ashley's uh, podcast as well, yes. the Not The Footy Show podcast. It's a really good, broad, sports-based podcast. A fairly a fair amount of Australian content, but some really interesting stuff that he brings up on there. And disclaimer there, you'll hear my voice on that particular podcast as well. Um, but you can go to his website, you can get it off iTunes, Not The Footy Show Actually, I can't remember the whole entire because it's quite a long thing. Google Not The Footy Show. You'll find it. It's on a WordPress blog by Ashley, and it's, it covers lots of sports. It's excellent. Check it out. There's a lot of hockey on there as well. Yeah, great stuff on there. Now, they mentioned there at the end of uh, the show there about changing things in hockey and grassroots or, you know, not grassroots, but traditional hockey, so to speak. Um it's been an interesting announcement coming out of the AHL this week, Matt. Yeah, well, there's just the past couple of days there's been an announcement from the Euro Hockey League, which does get underway fairly soon in the start of October. Um, so the first round of that is being held in Spain, in Barcelona, I think. Oh, not very high pitch then, excuse me. Uh, it's been held in Spain. Um, and, uh, yeah, they are going to follow, and this is, bearing in mind, just for a, a trial for one season, and it may go beyond that, but they're going to follow the Hockey India League precedent from last time around, where field goals and penalty corner goals are going to count for different points. Points, points, points. Oh, I tell you what, my blood boiled when I saw this this morning. Uh, it came through, I'm so glad it came through the morning before we recorded our podcast, not the morning after, because this two goals for one is an absolute joke. And it's not a goal, it's not, they call them points, we don't have points in hockey, there's no points, that's basketball, that's another sport. It's not hockey, we have goals. Now what are you going to do? A, a game's going to be decided by points now, are they? I just... One of the biggest things, we talk about this, about we want to attract new people to the game and attract the neutrals and keep things fairly simple. You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of hockey rules that are embedded from when you start the game young and you, you, you grow up with it so you kind of know what's going on. It's very hard for guys like Ashley to do the explainer every time for somebody who's just flicking on the TV or, or looking at yeah, someone absolutely. on the screen. So there's, on the EHL site, it's got the new scoring system. So I'll read this to you now and see. you tell me whether you think this could be confusing for a neutral. So, for every field goal and a penalty stroke goal scored in a match not resulting from a penalty corner, equals two points. For every penalty corner scored in a match, one point. For every goal scored from a penalty stroke resulting from a penalty corner situation, 
One point. In a shootout competition, a goal from a direct shootout and a penalty stroke equals one point. Okay. Okay. So when's the penalty count? Oh, I don't know. I just when's read it, it out to you. When's like... it? What? <laughs> <laughs> when does the penalty corner end? Uh. Uh. I'm not too sure. Is it when it when it leaves that five yards? Oh, oh, maybe, oh, maybe I'm just a bit stupid. My brain's not working this week. For every field goal and a penalty stroke goal scored in a match not resulting from a penalty corner, so there's got to be a breakdown, I guess, with it. So it's out out of the. Um, yeah, but okay. Meters. Here's one. Here's one for you. The the penalty corner hitter out. The player hits it out to the battery at the top of the D. Yeah. The battery lets it go. Yeah. To a guy standing outside the top outside that five yard line, right? Yeah. That's that, fine. That's fine. So you then, and then you score a field goal. That's no, but that's resulting from this penalty corner. Oh no, no. But I think that's no, that's broken down. So what they're talking about? No, it's not a breakdown. If you deliberately leave the ball and let it go to a guy standing outside that five yard line, yeah, no, that's not a breakdown. That's a deliberate play. No, I still, yeah. And that but, that's already happening in in the Indian hockey. Yeah, that's, league. that happened. Mo, Mo first got the scored the goal in the yeah. in the final. Three. Which bastardizes yeah. it even more. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's but. Technically, that's broken down because it's because it's left left the twenty five. Oh, and that's where they've got to do something about tightening those rules. I mean, you're actually creating more of a minefield than you you started with. Well, the thing is about the EHL is they brand themselves as the the biggest club competition in the world. There's been some really good innovation happening there. I've, I'm not so sure the signature tunes that were released last year is is part of that innovation. But you know, that's they're, they're having a play around at it. Um, but this is the most exciting club competition in the world. But for some reason, they think that it's not exciting enough and there's not enough goals being scored. Now, uh, the only thing that I can see it leading to is this is it's the issue around teams being too reliant on scoring from penalty corner batteries. The only thing I see that the reliance comes from those batteries is, is, is through drag flicking. And, that, and drag flicking is basically a, a manipulation of the rules. Yeah, it is. I've, I've, in fact, on our website, there's a couple of different opinion pieces there, the reverse stick.net, about this very subject, about what a drag flick is. If you can't lift a ball off a hit, why can you lift it off a drag flick? Because they're both equally as dangerous. They're both going to smash your jaw in. Yeah, and, the, and one of the issues that I've had over the, the past few years where drag flicking has become more popular, that's fine, it's all well and good that it's uh, being executed at the very highest level and you've got guys on the on the line who have uh, got a bit more about them, perhaps, some of the people who play lower down the grades. But it becomes dangerous when you've got young kids that can get some real pace. I'm maybe being unfair just saying young kids, but it tends to be taught at a younger age there. They, they can pull real pace off the ball, but don't necessarily have the direction, and it becomes a, a real danger issue, particularly if you've got old duffers like me on the line who, who kind of swing the ball, the swing the stick somewhere <laughs> in the general direction and hope that I might get something on it. Um, yeah, I'm. I think if there's going to be a manipulation of the rules um, done, then then it, we sh- we should look at the drag flick being exactly the same as a hit. Um, you can still flick it, no dramas, but you, it's backboard height. You got to remember, a penalty corner is no guarantee of a goal either. There have been lots and lots of teams that have lost games despite the fact they had penalty corner after penalty corner after penalty corner. I, I don't think that we have a problem in the way the game is scored. This is a goal is a goal. The ball crosses the line, hits the back of the net, or hits the backboard. It's a goal. It doesn't matter how it got there. And I think the interesting thing, you brought it up before the show when we were talking about it, is a, a game like soccer, football, one of, the, one of the core ingredients of it is that it hasn't changed 
and it refuses stubbornly to bastardise itself to modern marketing people. Well, the, the, the big thing that's always been about soccer is that it's the same if you're playing the game in an international stadium for your national team as it is to your, to playing on your local park. Mm-hmm. And already we're drifting away from that from hockey. Uh, we've, we've got 60-minute games, four quarters being played at some levels of the game. We've got 35 minutes each way. We've got nine-a-side tournaments. We've got seven-a-side tournaments. We've got five-a-side tournaments. We've got all of these different things going on. I think our game's pretty bloody good as it is. Oh, I think 11 aside works fine. Did I you mean, watch the Euros? Yeah. I mean, we saw some fantastic hockey. And in fact, the Spain versus Belgium women's game, it, it would have been a travesty if Belgium, having been leading the game 2-1, had a concealed a field goal in the last 20 seconds of the game and lost 3-2. That would have been... A total distortion of what went on in that game. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my thing is, you know, I think we've got an exciting product as as it is. For I, sure. We, we, you know, we've got a we've got a wonderful game, and I'll it's, get I'll get on shortly to tell you about excitement from from my grand final yeah. at the weekend, and it, it absolutely proves that it's it's full fine. of excitement. It's fine. What we've got. Is I fine. think hockey's been scared too by this twenty twenty cricket push. And I think you've got to forget about what cricket does because it bears no relation to our sport. Bear in mind that our sport lasts less, the 70-minute version lasts less time than one innings of a 2020 game. And we think our game's going too long? Yeah, it's going too long. It needs to be quicker, shorter format. And oh, yeah, it's I staggering. Think that there's, there's people who've got stars or, you know... Um, cash bags in their eyes and and think oh well if yeah. We, yeah you know if we want to make the money the marketeers yeah. the marketeers oh. think well if you yeah this is the way you need to go if, if you're in marketing and advertising google american comic bill hicks have a listen to what he says about marketing and advertising and follow his advice yeah And now it's time for part two of our interview with Murray Grime. It's not actually us, of course. It's our good friend Ashley Morrison conducting this interview. It originally appeared on the Not The Footy Show podcast, which you can catch by going to Ashley's website, uh, Not The Footy Show. Google that one. I'll get to iTunes and you'll find Not The Footy Show available on iTunes as well. But uh, time now for part two of Murray Grime and Ashley Morrison. We hear of what it means for an athlete to go to an Olympic Games. What does it mean to, for an official to be selected to go? Oh, look, we always set ourselves goals, and I think you've got, to, you've got to be realistic with where you want to go with umpiring. But, you know, to get appointed to an Olympic Games or a World Cup is really special. Um, you know, I've, I sort of set myself, when I was young, I, you know, you watch TV and you see all these Olympic Games and World Cups happening, you think you really want to be a part of that. It is a special time in your life when you, when you do get appointed and go to them and, and soak up the atmosphere. One thing I feel sorry for you about, though, is because your career as an umpire has coincided with Australia being really strong, it's meant you've missed out on umpiring finals in so many tournaments. Yeah, look, um, I've been fortunate enough where I've umpired the semi-finals at major events, Olympics and, and World Cups, and, and Australia has always played in the other semi-finals. So, you, you know, you, in one way you want your, your country to win, and in the other way you think, well, I hope they lose this game, so you get the opportunity, which, which it would have happened. Um, but, look, you're there, you're there for the game, you're not there for yourself. I'm sure, but it still would have been nice to do a final, wouldn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, look, it would have been. Um, I thought, you know, finishing off in, in 2016 in Rio I might have had a pretty good opportunity. Look, I umpired really well. It's mostly at the top of my game. But unfortunately, they decided to give two other umpires a, a crack. 
you talked about the rules and, and players understanding the rules and, and also maybe viewers and players interpreting the rules. I mean, are there any that you would like to see tweaked or changed that stand out in your mind as an official? Yeah, look, I think the way they've changed the overhead but where you can use your stick, I think that's a good rule now. Um, you just want fast, free-flowing game. I think the only situation that sort of slows the game down now is mostly inside of 23. It's such a critical area where you actually set free hits up and whether you eliminate defenders very quickly with a self-pass. Um, look, maybe they can be a bit more flexible or sort of change the rule and, and, you know, a bit like ice hockey where they have a little circle, they throw the ball in and that's where they've got to play it from. So, you know, everyone's aware. It just, look, we want to make it attractive, attractive sport and, and for TV audience as well. You mentioned the overhead and I feel personally that they should be play on as long as the encroaching isn't deemed dangerous. Yeah, I think you're right. Look, there's always going to be an aspect of dangerous play, and, you know, we've got a duty of care when we umpire, um, and the players sort of respect that. Look, players work it out what's going to happen, and the first of the ball, generally you'll find the second and third player will back away and let them bring the ball down safely to the ground. We've got referrals in the game now, and, and that's come in in recent times, and I think it works in the main really well. Do you like the way it works and, and do you feel, think again there is ways to simplify that? I mean you've been on both ends as an umpire on the pitch and up in the booth. Yeah look I think it's um, the way all sports are going I think we do need it um, but I think we've sort of just got to modify it to you know what decisions we're going to use it for because I think the teams rely on it too much now especially in very close towards the end of the games when it's a very tight game one all situation um, people just use it. I think we need to sort of steer away from that um, and maybe give them more opportunities to use it instead of just having one referral maybe have one every half No, I think there's, there's a lot of merit to be had for that certainly from, from a commentary perspective as well because sometimes we struggle to work out what they're actually referring do you think again it should be a case of the umpires just saying is it a penalty corner or not rather than we're looking for a foot or we're looking for a backstick Yeah, look, that's, a, that's an interesting point because the way it's set up at the moment we can actually go back inside the 23 if we see a breach coming into the circle where we try and get the teams to ask one question specifically so I think we need to isolate what actually they're actually looking for let's not go back and find previous breaches No, I agree with that Now, I saw when you uh, announced your retirement you mentioned Ian Pitt as a key man in your, your career can you tell us a little bit about him and his influence? Yeah, look, Ian look He's been around for a long, long time. Um, he played for Australia. He is captain coach of South Australia. This goes back into the late 60s, early 70s. Um, Ian was very instrumental in bringing a lot of umpires' careers, such as Don Pryor and the Alan Chassers, um, the Craig Beaches, etc. Look, Ian was my first umpires' manager in 1987, my first tournament in Canberra. Um, ever since then, you know, he had the confidence and guided me in the right direction to get me where I ended up. So, you know, a lot of, you put a lot of time, a lot of effort. Look, Ian was one of these guys, it was never just um, positive things, he was always very critical, but in being critical, he wanted to make you better. So you always learn the lessons. Was he someone you could go back to during your career as well for tips? Yeah, look, Ian used to always come and watch me, even when I was umpiring the Olympic Games, you know, warm-ups, he'd always come out and offer advice. Um, and it's one of those people, he had the credibility and whatever he said to you, he took it on board. And it might have only been a minor thing, but he wanted you to, to be better. How have you taken retirement now? Is it sunk in? Oh, oh look, it's slowly sunk in, but what, what a relief in one way. I can concentrate on my own work. Um, look, I sacrifice a lot of time to hockey. Um, I do it because I love it. Um, 
at, that, at the moment, I'm actually putting things back into Asian hockey. Uh, as far as development programs in Singapore, Bangladesh, to a certain degree, Malaysia want to come on board. So, look, I'm trying to do a, a lot of work with the Asian countries. I think you know, they've got a lot of potential as well as the Australian umpires as well. So obviously still involved. I mean, is, is there a place for you in the video booth to, to actually be a video umpire now that you're no longer allowed to be on the pitch? Oh, look, you'd, you'd always love to go to a national hockey tournament. I've decided to go down the umpire managing role. Um, FIH have made a decision that they don't want you to be an umpire's manager or video umpire. So, look, I've elected to go down the umpire managing role. I play that um, role quite well. I think I've got a lot of knowledge to pass along and also be a mentor to local umpires and, and Australian-based umpires. Well, that's really good. Now, just before we let you go, obviously the FIH is going through a revolution, as they call it. I mean, there seems to be a lot of things changing, including the World League. I mean, how do you feel the future looks for hockey? Oh, look, I think the future, I think we've got to be realistic. I think um, the game will change. I think, you know, they're setting the stone at the Tokyo Olympics is going to be 11 a side. Um, but I really see in the future it's mostly going to be a refined 5 a side or 7 a side. So, look, what's that going to do for TV audience and the general competitions around, around the world? Uh, it's yet to be seen. Does it scare you a little bit that the traditional game could get harmed? Uh, look, I think it's in everybody's mind, you know. It, it, certainly, if it does get harmed, but I think, you know, we need to look at the future. Um, I think five-a-side or seven-a-side will be fast and exciting, and I think it'll still draw the crowds into it. Well, Murray Grime, thanks for all the memories uh, down on the pitch, and we wish you all the best in developing the umpires of the future. Thanks, Ashley, and look forward to talking to you soon. And that was Murray Grime talking to Ashley Morrison from Not The Footy Show. You can catch Ashley's blog at Not The Footy Show. In fact, you'll have to Google it because it's quite a long web address and I can't quite get it out this week. Uh, Also do a search for Ashley Morrison Media. Yeah, Ashley Morrison Media and it's available on iTunes, Not The Footy Show. Excellent podcast. Check it out and thanks to Murray for allowing all that to happen and that's a very interesting interview. So just a few more things to finish off uh, today, John. We've uh, we've had no major tournaments happening in the past week, so no results to come to you on that. But we have got lots and lots coming up. Uh, starting off oh, just in oh, just two weeks' time, we've got the Australian Hockey League happening here in Perth, the men and women. So we'll see all the state teams come together for that. Um, and also, uh, like we said, we've got the EHL coming up. Just after the AHL, the Australian Hockey League, there's the Oceana Cup happening and running at the same time of that, we've got the Asia Cup kicking off. Well, you've got the men and women for the Oceania Cup. You've also got a Hockey Fives tournament going on for the Oceania International Hockey Fives. That's going on at the same time as the Oceania Cup and I believe that's the lower tier teams from the Oceania region such as Vanuatu and uh, island nations such as them. Yeah, that's right. And the, the uh, we did actually put something on the social media the other day that the Vanuatu side were looking for some help with funding to get them over to Sydney to play in the tournament. So they're, they're playing against, on the men's side of things, uh, Tonga, Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands. We've had talked before about being purists and wanting the 11 aside game, but we also see the value of these five-a-side tournaments for these some of these smaller nations. And, uh, oh, for that's, sure. That's, that, that, you know, there, are, there are certain positives for them. So that's from the 11th to the 15th of October in Sydney. Um, on the women's side of things, it's Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Solomon Islands and Papua New Guinea. I've also got, the, as you mentioned, the Asia Cup coming up for uh, both men and women. The uh, men's cup running from the 11th to 22nd of October in Dakar and the women's Asian Cup is running from the 28th of October to November the 5th at 
Kalamangara City. Do you know where that is? In Japan. Is it? Oh, that's a JPN. Oh, I thought it said UPN. So just before that, we've got the, today. the second tier Women's Asia Challenge, and that's happening in Brunei. That's got Hong Kong, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Brunei, Myanmar, and Uzbekistan taking part in that one. And we've also got the Africa Cup of Nations coming up. Uh, that's running the 19th to the 29th of October for the men in Ismailia in Egypt, and the women's is also running at Ismailia in Egypt from the 22nd to the 29th of October, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll get someone on from both the Asia and Oceania and Africa to talk us through what's going on in their so, confederations. Yeah, World we'll, we'll Cup spots up for grab all round there. Um, we've also, obviously, leading out of those tournaments, the next big thing that's happening is the Hockey World League, and we've had uh, pools announced uh, recently for yep. both the men's and the women's side of things. Do you want to take us through those, John? Yeah. First up, what have I got here? The uh, must, must be the women's. Uh, pool A in the women's is the USA, Korea, um, Netherlands, and New Zealand, and Pool B will be England, Germany, Argentina, and China. And I'll be looking at China with much interest to see how they go. They could be a sleeping giant of world hockey. That's right. Now, in the men's side of the competition there, we have... Uh, the men's side is Pool B is Germany, England, Australia and India. And Pool A is Argentina, Belgium, Netherlands and Espana. Spanish are in there. And if you're wondering why I read Pool B first, it's because Pool B plays before Pool A. Of course it does. Yeah, that's the way we do things in hockey. <laughs> Let's have that shootout first, shall we? <laughs> so, last couple of things to cover before we get self-indulgent. I missed out last week. Congratulations to Chelmsford Hockey Club on their world record attempt for the largest number of players playing in an exhibition game. That happened on the 2nd of September. 257 was the number to beat. Uh, I last spotted on Facebook that they'd reached their 262, so they've done that one and they are now currently dual Guinness World Record oh, holders so well done champs what was the score just quietly uh, let's 628 say 212 uh, <laughs> points to 354 points which actually if you use the score cross quotient means that uh, I think it was 2-1 or something like that yeah <laughs> I must admit we don't have any feedback this week. Well, actually, we probably do have feedback this week, but have you managed to figure out how to work your phone yet? <laughs> There's a few messages to look at there, but I guess the one bit of feedback that we have got is that we've been absolutely underwhelmed with the response that we've had with regard to our team photo oh. celebration. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> underwhelmed. And uh, So we're going to keep that competition running for another week. So there's a signed singlet, singlet there from uh, Maddie Ratcliffe, Carrie McMahon and Ashley Fay all members of the Hockey Roos Australian team. And so that's up for grabs. We'll do that for another week. Tweet at us with your, your best team celebrations. Send it through on Facebook. Send us an email with it, and we'll get it out there. There, there are a couple of examples posted to our Facebook page. They're actually quite recent examples, Matt. Well, we might as well get on with that then. We, we shall. Go? So, first off, as you might have heard last week, John was unfortunately uh, likely to be missing from his grand final due to... Uh, a hand issue, and uh, he's, he's sitting here opposite me at the moment in a brace and doing very well to try and type away. My, my name is on the card, my friend. I had all my gear on. I was there, ready and willing to make the sacrifice. If five of my team members got injured and couldn't carry on, I was on the field. Well, the beautiful thing with that is that you'll get a medal. I will. So, what was the result in your game? 2-1. 2-1 at half-time, 2-1 at full-time. Could have been 6-1, but we missed a stroke, did a few silly things. We had it 
in the bag, mate. Good game? Yeah, it was. It was a good game, yeah. Um, not the greatest field to play top-class hockey on, but we got That's by. That's right, you weren't playing top-class hockey, so it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> go on, then, ask me. So how'd you go, mate? Well, I'll tell you all about the excitement of uh, my high-level uh, grand final on, on Sunday lunchtime, John. We played like absolute dogs for the first 20 minutes of the game. We were run over, um, offered absolutely nothing. Somehow managed to get a goal against a run of play, 1-0 up. We then found ourselves with 16 minutes to go, 3-1 down. Um, I'm not going to say anything about the umpires on the, on the third goal. I thought they did a marvellous job. Could have, uh, could have helped us out on one of those, though. But then, quite remarkably, we managed to pull it back to 3-3 with 30 seconds left on the clock. We won a short corner. We ran the clock down nicely, shot from the top, hits the player's foot on the line, penalty stroke given, the player gets a red card for throwing his stick away, our captain steps up and slots it into the bottom corner. 4-3, thank you, thanks for coming, what a win. It was a fantastic win mate, and uh, we'll have to get that uh, patent off you for the auto tightening necklace, because if we can get hockey players on all of our opposition teams wearing them, we'll be laughing. If you're playing in finals this weekend, we know there's still some up and around uh, happening this weekend. Good luck, and uh, we hope you have a win. See you next week, mate. See you next week.